Everybody have the bulletin? Let's get going. Let's jump into the Word of God. Acts chapter 19, we're going to back up to verse 21, and then we're going to actually see where God was doing work here in the church at Ephesus and in the city of Ephesus. Let me back it up and put it in a verse just a little bit and go back actually to verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And if you were not here with us last week, you need to go back and read the scripture. This is where the seven sons of Skeza tried to come against the man with an evil spirit. And they tried to cast out the spirit and the devil and the demon inside of him said, We know Jesus. And we know Paul, but who are you? And then the man uh, proceeded to jump on them and rip their clothes off, beat them down, and they took off running down the street, the Bible says. It's a funny story. It was probably one of the funniest stories I read when I was a kid in the Bible, but a very serious story as I'm an adult. Now I'd be more mature and say, uh, yes, it was funny, but it actually was a real reality between uh, spiritual forces that are happening even in our world today. Now today's passage, verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul proposed a purpose to, in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose, what does your Bible say? A great commotion. Does not Paul bring that with him everywhere he goes? Could you imagine being his friend? Everywhere Paul goes, he stirs up trouble. Not because he wants to fight, because he's bringing the word of God to a sinful people. And every time sinful people hear the word of God, and we'll face it today, they'll either say amen or oh me. If they say amen, they become the part of the brotherhood or sisterhood of Christ. And if they say oh me, they want to fight you. They want to get you out of the way. They want to get you, they want to cause a confusion, confusion. And they want to get you out of their environment. They don't want to turn to Christ. They reject Jesus Christ. Verse 23. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. And the way is obviously people of the way. The church didn't have an established church. It wasn't the first Baptist church of Ephesus. It didn't have an established church yet because it was just growing. Paul's been teaching for now over two years. And the church is growing and it's getting a stronghold. People are confessing their sins. People are turning from their wicked ways. People are having revival, if you will. Those, the spiritual people that are Christians are having revival. The ones that are lost, they're having a spiritual awakening. God's moving in the land. And we know that every time God's at work, what happens? The devil comes right behind him and tries to work in opposition. So let me challenge you today, no matter what you're going through, people of the way, that's who we are today. John 14, 6, I put in your notes, and Jesus is very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, through me, Jesus Christ. That's right. So the people of the way were Christ's followers. Verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that there are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. He's, he's going to take this thing global now. It, wasn't just, it was just a local craftsman, but his speech, his rhetoric is so big that he's stirring up the crowds. 
And we're going to see just like today, you can, this is like it's on CNN or Fox News or any other channel. Let's just watch the news. And now when they heard this, people that actually heard that their livelihoods threatened. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Articus, Macedonians, Paul traveled, travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and another cried another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Does that sound like today? And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews, putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Verse 35. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. Verse 39, but if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the law, lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being qu- called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly g- gathering. And when he had said this, these things, he dismissed the assembly. I want to challenge you, they were afraid of the Romans. The Romans were going to come down and put down any uprising. And, and I put in your notes, I got to make it one more correction because I checked the source. But I'll get to it in just a moment. This theater, look on the front of your bulletin. That's a picture of the, the theater in Ephesus. I'll put that there so you can actually see. In your notes, I put 50,000, and I went and checked it. Is actually one source said 50,000, but the other source said it holds 25,000 people. 24,000 seats plus 1,000 standing. Pretty big place. And then look at the picture up on the screen. I, uh, uh, Melissa put it up on the screen for us there. You see that? It looks like the end zone of one of our football stadiums, doesn't it? So even back in the day in the first century, they're building very much like we do today. They wanted to watch entertainment. And of course, they, we know there was actually fighting and wild beasts and all kinds of different things that happened in, in those theaters. That's where the people rushed into and they snatched Alexander and these other people wanting to bring a charge against them. Go to your notes if you would. I want to show you something very clear in the notes. We all know that financial blessing and financial wealth are not the same thing. Would you agree? So we can have a whole bunch of money and just because they've earned it, can you actually earn money by being evil? You can, under, we call it under the table. You can earn money by uh, being ruthless. Even I just saw someone bought the winning lottery ticket for $1 billion. What's going to happen to that person's life? Well, they're going to get rich, but what's going to happen? Everybody in their high school yearbook, if they went to college, everybody's going to come back. All the cousins, the people they don't even know is going to call in their favors. They're going to want a piece of that money. And then eventually the thieves are going to come and find out where they live and they're going to try to come in and steal and kill. Is that true? It happens over and over again. So we know there's a difference between financial blessing that comes from God and financial wealth that are not the same thing. It can be, a wealth can actually be a blessing from God, and it is because he gives us good things. Paul lived in the city of Ephesus for over two years, and multitudes were turning to Jesus for salvation. What happens to a person's life when they turn to Christ Jesus? 
do they become perfect? Well, their soul does. It gets sealed into the redemption, but their body themselves, they're still themselves. When you look at them, they're still the same person. But what happens is that you'll find many times your countenance changes. People will ask you, oh, what's wrong with you? You say, what are you talking about? You always seem so happy or you seem full of joy. Every time I see you, there's always a smile on your face. What, what's different about you? And that's our invitation to do what? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ, how God changed our life. Those of you that are Christians today, did God change your life? Are you different now than you were before? Is your countenance different? Is your outlook different? We come to the place and say, listen, well, why should I change all that? Because Christ makes us new. The Bible tells us, behold, all things become new when we give our heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of those things. We turn from our sins. Lord, I used to think this way, and your, tr your truth and your word says it's this way, so therefore I repent. I turn away from those sins, and I turn to the way your word says it should be. That's a re repetitive lifestyle for a Christian. That We call that maturity. You grow up, not just in age, but you grow up in wisdom when you read the word of God and God turns you around and sends you back another way. He constantly says, hey, stop that, let's do this. He sends you a different direction. When we trust him and obey him, the old song says there's no way to be happy in Jesus, right? But to trust and obey him. Spiritual conflict heightened among demons, unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles and Christians who are the people of the way. John 14, 6, I gave you that reference. Those traveling Jewish exorcists that we read about last week, the sons of Sceva, there were seven of them, were trying to make money using the name of Jesus. They practiced there, and I put in quotes, their business in the, manner of Jesus, in the name of Jesus without the power of Jesus. Y'all, there's people today that are preaching Jesus for profit. Did you know that? They're having crusades, and they're having healing crusades, or having revivals, or whatever it might be, and they'll take money, they'll take an offering of collection, and they'll just uh, be laborious over the offering that you, you don't have because you don't have faith to give, and they'll talk about the seed of the harvest, and you gotta, which is a biblical principle, but it's used out of context whenever you do it for great gain. These same people are driving very expensive cars, some have private planes, some are even sitting on the television, hey, God told me I'm supposed to have this certain type of plane, you need to send money for it. That same preacher bought that plane. I don't know if you've ever followed any of that. But you don't have healing because you don't have faith. In James chapter 5, let me be clear with you today. The healing that's required in James chapter 5, any among you sick, let him come to the, call the elders of the church. And who's the, whose faith is it that actually brings about healing? Is it the elder's faith or is it the person coming's faith? The answer is yes. But the elder must have faith. Look at it, because it goes back and says, hey, like Elijah, Elijah was a normal man, but he prayed in faith. And the fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. Much happens because a man or woman prays fervently for the things of God. So it's the faith of the elders is where it starts. We have to confess our sins, the Bible says, to one another. We come back and say, listen, I haven't been living like I should, and this has happened in my life. And now I'm facing sickness. Will God supernaturally heal? Yes, but it's not in my power. Hey, give me fifty nine ninety five, and I'll touch you, and you can actually be healed. Cold sores are you know nineteen ninety nine. Back pain is seventy nine ninety nine. I mean, that's this is what people are doing. They're actually selling the works of God cheap, and they're no works of God at all. They're using the name of Jesus. They use the name of the Lord. They call on God. But they're false. They're far from God. They're like these sons of Sceva. They were doing it for a business venture. They were making money. They wanted the spiritual wealth, not financial blessing from God. So same thing for us today. We come to the place. Is spiritual healing, can it happen? And will it happen? Physical healing? The answer is yes, you can be healed spiritually, and you can be healed physically. We've seen it happen. 
in this church. We've seen people come. But it's the faith of the elders. Many times today, if somebody says, well, I came for healing and I didn't receive my healing. Well, many pastors today, the thing you have to come to is say, well, I've heard pastors even say this. Well, it's your faith. You have lack of faith. You didn't believe that God would heal you. It's not where the scripture starts. The scripture starts with the pastor's faith, the elder's faith. So let me, t- let me challenge you today. If you are sick and in need uh, and you've, God compels you to come to the elders, we come together. We, say, we ask you very clearly, hey, confess your sins to each other. It doesn't have to be a Sunday morning. It can be during the week. We've seen it happen different times in this church. But we spend time talking to each other about our sins, confessing our sins, bearing our burdens before each other, asking God to forgive us of our sins. And then in faith, we anoint with oil. But I want to tell you, the pastor doesn't heal. The elders don't heal. The oil doesn't heal. And the person's faith doesn't heal. You know who brings about the healing? God does. The Holy Spirit comes back and actually changes a person's life. This is what Paul knew. And if you know that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll walk differently in your life. You'll be bold in your faith. You'll go forward in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll do things that, that doesn't even seem possible for you to do. So that's not my personality. Well, when the Holy Spirit gets over to you, he changes everything. He turns you into the person he wants you to be. But these men, they practiced their business. They wanted the, their financial wealth in the name of Jesus without the power of Jesus. How do you get the power of Jesus? You must give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must belong to him for him to give you the ability to exercise in his name, to use his name for his glory, that things would change. The evil spirit, look at your notes, the evil spirit of the man whom they confronted spoke clearly that he knew Jesus and clearly that he knew Paul, but forcefully denied knowing the practicing exorcists. He beat them and he stripped all seven of them of their clothing, leaving them humiliated and running for their lives. What was the cause for them? Reputation, clothing, medical bills, and their jobs. What were the gains? I put these not in your notes, but the gains. Spiritual awakening. Great spiritual awakening in the town. What would happen today if we heard this happening today? Happening at different places. That a spiritual, we knew the man because obviously small town, so people knew this man. Man, there's something wrong with him. Oh, Henry, there's something wrong with him. Every time you get around him, he's crazy. He's sticking his hand in the fire. He's, he's, he's doing foolish things, incantations. And how do we know this is happening? Because we back up in chapter 19 and see that many people were practicing witchcraft. Many people had scrolls, up to 50,000 pieces of silver worth of scroll. They were practicing witchcraft. They were calling on the power of Satan. Happens today, but we just try to clean it up today. We call it Wiccan, white witchcraft. People dabble in it. And there's a website you can go to even here in town and see how many witches are in town. Did y'all know there's several witches in our town? And some practice white magic, some practice dark magic. And they come down the list and they say, well, I'm Christian and I'm wicked at the same time. Let me tell you, if you're practicing that, you're not. You cannot be both. The Holy Spirit won't share. Your, your, devil, your daddy is the devil, right? Like Jesus said, you're, either, you're not my children. You belong to your father, the devil. If you practice witchcraft in any form, or if you like to just Ouija boards and all that crazy stuff, palm reading, all that stuff, you just love just going to mess around with stuff because it's fun, it's carnival type behavior for you. Let me tell you, that is not the things of Christ. You're messing with the devil, and you're messing with something actually that's really real. Just a one little step. It always stops with one little sip, one little step, and then the devil's got you. He'll, he'll get a toehold and a foothold in your life. Well, the name of Jesus and his preacher Paul was elevated, therefore, many in Ephesus believed. They confessed their sins, they repented, and burned those wicked scrolls. You go back and look, and the Bible says just uh, verses 18 and 19, up to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's 50,000 days' wages. That's a lot of money. 
Well, who made the scrolls? There were scroll makers who made these scrolls, and they would write out these incantations. They would write out the different things, the sorcery of uh, codes or whatever the whatever the the they would come to and actually uh, bring about the power of Satan or just love potions or whatever it might be that they would actually be involved in. And they would write them on the scrolls, and they made money selling those scrolls. What's going to happen now if people are confessing their sins and saying, this is of the devil, not of God. We burn all this, and people, somebody's count, somebody in the crowd is counting. I'm sure there's a CPA. They're going, that's $50. That's 35 right? They're, they're counting up to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. Would you agree? So it records it in the Bible that, that this was a great turning from sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. People were saying, I don't, I don't want this stuff anymore. You ever heard someone say, honey, or usually it's grandmothers or grandsons or nephews or whatever, and they just wanna get them from that wild life. They're sowing their wild oats and, honey, if you just come to Jesus, your life would just be absolutely wonderful. Jesus loves you. Sometimes we tell our friends and coworkers, hey, just give your life to Jesus and everything's gonna be A-okay. It's gonna be perfect. Everything gets better when you give your life to Jesus. Let me tell you, that's, that's not always true. Our life is perfected because we're going to heaven when we die, but every time the Lord Jesus comes into a person's life, all of that old sin nature that comes into play that you used to dabble in, it's gonna come back. Satan's not gonna give you up easily. He's gonna want a little piece of the action, and once he gets in, he, he likes Christians who are neutral. He loves the church of today because we don't do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ as a whole. I'm talking about the whole church. We've come to the place that we're just satisfied showing up, or now most people are satisfied just watching by a, t by a screen, YouTube or whatever your favorite pastor, you can just turn through channels, favorite music here, favorite preacher here, whatever you want to do. Hey, I don't have any obligations now to the church. They won't ask me for nothing, and I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to do my part because of COVID-19. Well, COVID-19, I'm thankful for COVID-19. I know it's taken lives, and I hate that, and many of us have lost family members and friends. Many of us have been sick with it in, the ch in this church. But let me tell you what it's done. It's actually pulled out the real believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because COVID-19, as hard as it is, it forces you to your knees to pray. And Lord, please help my so-and-so. Please, please bless me. Lord, come to the place and bless our churches because churches are closing at a double pace than they were before. And by the way, churches were closing before. But let me tell you this for sure. The church of God is not dying. All right? Buildings are closing and people are not meeting, but the church of God will not and cannot die. That's true from the Word of God. The gates of hell won't prevail against the Lord's church. So says the Word of God. You say, well, I don't see it. I want every pew full. I want every church full. Because every building's not a church. This is not the church. We are the church. We, as the body of Christ, we believers, we are the walk-around temple of God. We are the church. So doors were shut and locked. And that's a sad thing because once upon a time there was a church in that place, Maybe. But the church of God will never die. It's forever alive. Because once we die in this body, where do we go? Absent from the body? Present with the Lord. We, I can't die. If so if we share the gospel, we talked about this before, and someone makes fun of you, what's happening? The very thing that Jesus said would happen to you as a follower of Christ. They hated me first. They're going to hate you also. They're going to they're persecute you. But guess what? If they persecute you for my name's sake, blessed are you, he said. So it's a blessing when you get persecuted for the name of Christ. Not for your name's sake or being mouthy or, or being right all the time, but for the name of Jesus Christ. Speaking a good word for Jesus will bring about persecution in a Christian's life. Is that true? Have you found that to be uh, to, true in your life? 
You say, well, I'm not suffering persecution. Then you need to check <laughs> your train ticket, right? You need to make sure you're going in the same direction as Jesus Christ. It happened, obviously, uh, I was supposed to join the Navy, and, and I was supposed to be at the, uh, meet the recruiter at a certain place, and, and he said, uh, hey, your training's going to be, you pass the intel test, your training's going to be in Pensacola, uh, Orlando first, boot camp, and then you're going to go to Pensacola for training. That's where all the intel guys were, and, and I'd, I'd never flown before, never been really out of the country, and so we couldn't find my recruiter for the Navy, and I, uh, me and my dad went looking for him and found him, and they said, I think he's over at the laundromat. My recruiter was playing poker in the back of a laundromat, and he had his tie off. He, I mean, just, he's just about there, they're, they're passing chips in the laundromat, and I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to be flying out right now. He goes, oh, no, what have I done? He rushes, grabs my packet, my, my billing, and says, I'm supposed to be going, where am I supposed to be going? Orlando, Florida. Never been there before, never been to Pensacola. And so I get on the plane, I finally, I'm, the, I'm on the next flight, and I asked the lady, I said, and this is how lack of country boy, I, I mean, a country boy I had, and I said, hey, the lady's walking by, and I said, hey, ma'am, do you work here? No, I'm on an airplane. <laughs> and then she said, what you need? And I said, uh, how long is it going to take for us to get to Orlando? She said, honey, you on the wrong plane. We're going to Chicago. So I'm supposed to be going this way, and I'm going this way. And the orders they give you, they tell you not to open them, right? They're supposed to just present them. Well, I didn't know any better. I, I knew better, but I went in, and I opened them up, and it, sure enough, I'm going to Great Lakes. I didn't know where that was. I get to O'Hare Airport. Anybody ever been to O'Hare Airport? No one's there to greet me. I don't, I've never been out of the country, and I get to O'Hare and look around. It's the largest airport, I think, in the United States, just looking as far as size, and just tall columns, and I, I didn't know what to do. And the only thing I had was a... Well, back then they didn't check, but I had a knife about that long. So with a handle, I worked at a hardware store and I saved up for a long time to buy this knife. It cost me about $90. This is a big old knife. And I covered it and I slept on the, I didn't know that it was luggage return things that go around. It was carpeted, so I laid down on it and went to sleep there for somebody. And, they, and I heard someone yell, Navy van, the next morning. And I get up and get on the van. Of course, my, my life story is different from there. Instead of training in Pensacola, we go to Boston, train with the Army. Whole different story, whole different plan. And that, that's the way it is with this. Sometimes we have a plan for our life, and, man, we want to go do it this way. We're told this is how it's supposed to be, all roses and happy. If you get this degree or if you take this career, this is how it's supposed to be. And we find no joy, and we go, listen, this is laborious as anything else I've ever done. But when Jesus Christ saves our soul, what does he do? He changes our direction. So, listen, we're no longer going this way. We're going this way. He might keep you in the same career, same degree field. He might come to the place that he actually gives you another job completely different. But now we know that we can trust him because he's guiding our life. We're listening to him. We want to trust him. We want to obey him. And that's the way Paul was. Paul was sold out. Paul had made a lot of riches when he was a Pharisee tearing up the church. But when God saved him, God turned him around. And now he's sharing. Listen, Satan hates him because he's working against the kingdom of Satan. His demons hate him because he's interfering with their life. Demons are being cast out. They're having to find new homes. They're having to find new people. And now these people are coming to the place, they're confessing their sins and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Ephesus is growing. Look at your notes, if you would, the word of God grew mightily, the Bible says, and prevailed. The church was established in Ephesus. And if we go to the book of Revelation, I told you, we look at church at Ephesus, that when Jesus was speaking to the church of Ephesus, he says, listen, I love all the works that you're doing. You're doing a good work. You're standing up against those pagans. You're standing up against those evil people in your city. But one thing you've forgotten, you've lost your first love. And who was the first love of the church of Ephesus? His name was Jesus. Who's the first love of Town Creek Baptist Church? Jesus Christ. But can we be so busy sometimes doing church work, 
having meeting after meeting, singing songs, praying prayers that we forget our first love, that we don't spend time with him one-on-one. We don't take walks with him anymore. We don't go to the park anymore and just sit there and talk to the Lord Jesus Christ with his word open. This is how he speaks to us today, church. In prayer, when you meditate in prayer on this, you focus on a scripture, you come to the place, he speaks through his word. That's his primary way of speaking to you. He loves to talk with us. He loves to walk with us. In your notes, listen very clearly, God changed lives. Culture changed. The demons knew it. Pagan business leaders knew it. And the Christians knew it. What's happening now, there's a commotion that's happening because people's lives are changing. Demetrius, this old boy Demetrius, he knows Hey, the people who manufacture the scrolls, right, who are writing them out, all these evil scrolls, they're losing their job. And we're next because Paul's preaching against there is but one true God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And now we're messed up because we have Diana. We have Diana as our goddess. And we, we make money, and they would make these little trinkets of a, a fertility goddess, that you could take with you and they would say, hey, wherever you go, you just pull this out and you can actually worship the goddess Diana, wherever you are. So they sold it, it was a big tourism area, one of the largest ports, if you will, for Rome. It's a huge metropolitan city. And now Demetrius has come to the place, watching what he does. And I gave him a name just so, it said they were craftsmen, so I thought that maybe they were labor unions. So I gave him a labor union name. If you're a part of a union, sorry, this was just my humor. And I called them the United Silversmiths of Ephesus Labor Union. They were called to a meeting by Demetrius. Demetrius generated tremendous outrage against Paul. He targeted on their potential uh, personal financial interests versus, there's my verses again, the spiritual truth Paul and the people of the way shared. He said, listen, Paul is preaching against, it even says in a word, he calls out Paul in verse 26, moreover you see, you see and hear that not only in the Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying they are not, that they are not gods which are made by hands. And the most logical person says, amen to what Paul says, would you agree? If I make it with my hand, what does, it, what does that matter? I control it. Imagine little kids in preschool making a God out of a Play-Doh and then hanging it up. Say, Mom, you hang this up, make a necklace out of this, and let me wear it because I want to worship the God I made. What would you say? Baby, don't be so foolish. You can't make a God with your own hands. Good try. You can make a little person, like image of a person, but you can't make a God. Well, grow up and become a grown man and say, listen, hey, I'm going to take this wood, dip it in silver, and, and let you take it with you wherever you go, and you can worship it wherever you go. And you would say what? As a rational thinking person. No. You made it with your hands, so it's the God of your making. And then you have to, if you have a God of your making, well, guess what you get to do? Join with the priests of that temple, and you get to make up the rules how you worship that God. And then so people always, when you come to town, guess what you do? You get into the cycle, and guess who gets rich? They get financial wealth from selling their little trinkets. And now he's called in all the silversmiths and said, listen, we're going to lose our trade. We're going to lose our money. We're going to lose our prosperity. We're going to lose, listen, we got to have something. Somebody needs to speak for us. And he whipped up the whole crowd into a frenzy. And is that what's happening today when people have a thought? Somebody has a thought and a microphone, they start shouting something. And people get together and we start, we've seen it at our capital, have we not? We've seen it in Portland, Oregon, have we not? We've seen it around the world in Russia. We've seen it around where, wherever there's a group of people, certain people can actually incite a crowd and, and get them fired up. A favorite, fevered mob formed and shouted and demonstrated and marched to the local outdoor theater, which could hold up to, here it is, 
should be 25,000. It's 24,000 seats plus 1,000 standing. They sought to bring mob justice on Paul's companions. They couldn't find Paul, so they snatched two people that actually were with Paul, and they wanted to come in and bring mob justice on them in front of the theater. In front of everybody, they wanted to bring about this justice. But this is not the Roman way. The Romans are very clear. You had to have a court. You had to have a hearing from the pro-council. You could not just go and bring a charge and beat somebody or hurt somebody. We know that from when we read from Paul and Silas when they were beaten and thrown into prison. Paul said, I'm not leaving the prison until they come and apologize to me because I'm a Roman citizen. I had a right to a trial. Same thing here. They have a right to a trial, but the mob has grabbed them, taken them into Ephesus. And what's going to happen when the Romans find out? If the Romans find out, all the leaders in Ephesus, anybody that participated in this is going to have a beating or get locked up as well. So now there's fear that comes back on, hey, you guys did this illegally, and you're, you're going to try to pass judgment without a court of law. Watch what happens. It sounds like our day, does it not? God used disciples of Christ and the local government officials to stop the assembly of doing greater harm. They stopped these men from killing these men. Is the government on our side? Okay, I'll, I won't let you make you answer that out loud. Was the government designed to be on our side? If our side is God's, God designed the government. What's the government's job? Y'all know, what, what, biblically, what is the government's job? Okay, and so basically to bring up those who are exalting and living, if you will call it righteousness, and to punish evil. And what's happening today, a call for, hey, capital murder. Uh, I just heard this uh, yesterday. President Trump killed more uh, people in the uh, electric chair or, or whatever the, um, on the death sentence than any president because he did it last minute. There's a big cry out, hey, take off, no more death sentence. Don't punish anybody else by a death sentence. It's cruel and inhumane. Let them go. What's the government's job? When a man or woman brings about death, evil in society, the government's job is to punish them. That's what it is. What do we turn prisons into now? Rehabilitation centers, have we not? We give them educations, we give different things. Do we need those things in society? Oh, of course we do, because we have so many different backgrounds. But prison's not the place for it. I'll, go, I'll move on for that because I'm socially out of, the, out of the norm on that, because what happens is we've turned them into country clubs. I had a friend who said, hey, I made more money in prison. I got all the drugs I wanted, made money in prison, I had three meals a day, and I had a place to sleep and exercise. And he, he basically got out, in, out. We, we both took a different path out of high school. And today, not too long ago, but maybe a year and a half ago, he killed a man over drugs um, down towards uh, Jackson or New Ellington. And he's serving life sentence in prison for the rest of his life. We both had the same opportunities. We've heard the same truths said in church, but we made different decisions. And he was the one that told me, hey, I can make more money or as much money in prison, and I like the lifestyle because it's kind of controlled for me. I need, the, I need the control. I said, if it was up to me, I would tie you to a rock, you would beat it into pebbles, and then I would glue, make you glue all the pebbles back together and pass it on to the next guy and beat that rock. Listen, when you come to the place, discipleship, what's the root word of, even as Christians, what's the root of discipleship? Discipline. And sometimes it takes a whip on our back. And you say, I don't agree with you. That's okay. You don't have to agree with me. But when you come to the word of God, it comes to the very root that we have to be disciplined even to be a Christian. And when you actually come to the place and we, we incarcerate people and then let them right back out, what happens? Recidivism rate on a lot of crimes, it comes right back in. There's, there's, a, there's a cycle that comes through the system. 
Well, Paul comes to this place. Listen, these men are, are right here, and they're, they're shouting, but God used the disciples of Christ. Paul, don't go in there. Don't speak. Paul was ready to preach because Paul knew who had his back, the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that the Christ had his back, but God used these disciples, sometimes even hard-headed preachers, right, to pull them back and say, not yet. Don't go in there and talk to those people. They're going to kill you if they get a chance. So we see that they, he listened to them. And the government officials, God used the government to do what it was supposed to do. Here we see Christians, the state, and the church working together here. A couple more notes. Here's a question we ask. Are we more interested in our financial interests today versus spiritual truth? We may think God does not care, especially if we outwardly look like we are obeying. But he does care. Just because you got dressed up and came to a church building today does not mean that you're good with God. Would you agree? God sees on the inside. God looks at the heart. God looks at man's heart and says, hey, what are you doing? What's in your life? And we can say whatever we want to say, but he looks at us. He does care. It grieves him and it violates the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We look at money today, and y'all, I know money is important. Obviously, we have to live. We live in a society where actually we exchange money for goods, services, we, we need money to live. Is that true? Would you agree? All right? We don't. Did you know back in 19, I think it was 1933, I got to check my dates. I was reading it this week. FDR president come up and, and did, the, you heard of executive orders from President Obama that people loved and hated. Executive orders from President Trump that people loved and hated. And now executive orders from President Biden who people love and hate, right? President. Making all these changes by the strike of a pen. I think it was 1933, I think it was 1933, help me with my dates, FDR said, with a stroke of a pen, no American citizen may own gold. Did y'all know that? If you are found with gold, you'll get sentenced up to 10 years in prison. You'll have to pay the price of the gold plus a secondary price of what the gold was worth. So you had to pay two times what the gold was worth. The President of the United States, with a one stroke of a pen, said no American citizen could have gold. Did you know that? That didn't change until 1974. If you were found with gold, your own personal gold, you could be sentenced to prison. Do you know the president that actually struck that out was President Ford? For a short time, he struck that out, found out that there was a law still on the books. So can a president of the United States just turn dictator like that? The answer is that's not the way it's designed. But we as Americans, what did the Americans do? They lined up. He closed all the banks for four days, pronounced the national holiday for four days for the banks to close so people couldn't get their money out. And then turned back around and with the executive order said, everyone with gold has to turn it in. You had a short window of time to turn all of your gold in or be arrested from the president of the United States. Anybody want to fight back against that? I would think as an American, I, like, I can't believe Americans stood for that, but they stood in long lines, long, long lines, give their gold back. And they got 20-something dollars a piece, 20-something for their gold. Isn't that amazing? And then he, uh, he allowed, obviously as government worked, they allowed foreign entities to buy the gold for our debt. And that's how our federal deficit just went through the roof. The New Deal was not such a good deal, was it? We're facing trillions of dollars of debt even today. Let me ask you this question. Look at, your, look at your notes. Who made all the gold and silver on earth? God did. What do you think the maker of gold and silver thinks about the way you act toward your resources, your checking account, your credit card, your cars, your dress, whatever it might be? How do you think the maker of gold, the one, if you're so tied up in your financial wealth, what do you think God thinks about that? 
Listen, church, he wants us to awaken up. He wants us to come to the place that we waken up, we were awakened, that we come to the place of understanding, hey, this life is more about than just earning a dollar or earning great riches. More than my 401k, uh, more than how much money I have in, a, in the checking account, more than real estate that I have, more than the investments that I have. Listen, this life is about making disciples of Jesus Christ and keeping the process going, letting the church of God grow. We must use what we've been given to bless Jesus' name, not to actually curse his name. Churches have been reporting, I've been reporting, it's happened to us. Derek has told me, he's like, hey, Pastor, come in. During COVID, what's happened to giving? What do you think has happened to giving in the church across the United States? People backed off because I might not have a job next week. I talked to one man who hasn't gone to work since last July. He can't move to town. He moved to our town and, and got a job at the nuclear plant and hasn't worked since last July. Reported for his badge and his credentials and hasn't set foot on that campus since July. I said, well, surely you're not making, what are you doing for a living? You just built a house. He goes, no, I'm getting paid. I'm like, why? My tax dollars, you're not doing anything. I was aggravating him. And then he says, well, I'm not going to work till the end of July this year. I didn't understand. I had, I had, a, had a clueless look on my face. But what a lot of people are doing, instead of actually coming to the place that God's blessed opportunity for them to have even side jobs or other things to do, They've gone into crisis mode. They've built elaborate, back I've seen a lot of people saying, hey, look at my backyard. I finally had all this time to build this and money. They've taken the Lord's resources and what have they done with them? Piled it on themselves. And, and I, I don't say that, hey, so you give more money to the church. That's not it. But you won't receive the blessings of God, the financial blessings of God, unless you actually do it God's way. We've talked about here, is tithing biblical? And the answer is absolutely yes. That's where the word comes from in the Bible. But we give to God cheerfully, but we don't give to the Lord. Guess what we do? It's evident in your life. The joy of the Lord is taken from you. You what you want. Listen, God is a giver. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the very best of heaven that you and I might have eternal life. And sometimes we struggle to give back to the Lord because of our, well, I have this need. And, and I got to put some money up because I'm not sure of rainy day money or as Wendy's grandmother used to say, a little money to jingle in your pocket while you walk around money. Y'all, we've come to the place. I want to challenge you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be caught up like the people of Ephesus about financial gain and about, hey, what makes my money and, and my security? Get caught up in the things. Lord, how do I use these resources for your glory? Your house, guess what he wants you to do with it? Use it for his glory. Every time we give everything, he wants 100%. He don't want 10%. He wants everything that you have. And then when he has everything, he'll say, now take this house and go use it for my glory. Take this vehicle and take some kids to camp. Go do this, go do that, go do that, go do that. Some things he'll ask you to do, it will blow your mind what he asks you to do. But when you're faithful, guess what's going to happen to you? That blessing, it's not just going to be a financial blessing anymore. It's going to be a whole of life blessing. You're going to actually do things for God that you never thought possible. Let me ask you this last question before we close. If God told you that you're going to be right where you are right now when you were in high school, would you have believed it? Some of you say, well, I'm more successful or I'm less successful than I planned. But would you have believed where you are today when you were in high school? Maybe in college, you made a plan and a lot of people are graduating today, college, right? We talked about this. Just... Forgive all student debts, the new administration. I think that's the foolish thing, most foolish thing we could do on the planet. I don't want to pay for your education anymore, and I'm already paying. 
All right, you chose it, you pay for it. That sound like hard reality? Most of the millennials are like, that's not fair, pay for our education. I'm tired of paying for your education, right? My taxes are paying for your education now, part of it. If you're at the University of South Carolina, what I want you to understand is listen, our way into society is, hey, give me more so it frees up my assets so I can go spend more, more, more money on Jesus. Is that how we think? Give me more. You pay for more of my stuff, free up my assets, and I'm going to go spend more money for the things of Jesus. Is that what we do? Is that normal thinking? It's not normal. It's not natural. But that's supernatural thinking. That's how Paul thought. Paul's like, Paul had all these riches. He, we don't see, hear anything about Paul's father or mother, but they were Jews and they were Roman citizens. It cost a lot of money to be a Roman citizen. Paul was both. And he said, everything about my credentials, all my PhD, all my stuff that I have, he counted this. What did he call it? He said, I counted all as, he used the word dung in the Bible, poop. That's what he said. I counted all as rubbish in the Bible is what he said, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And that's how he lived his life. His focus was so much on Jesus Christ. And we don't know how Paul exactly died other than church history tells us that he actually got his head cut off. It's not in the Bible, but it, that's what we understand. But he was so focused. He said, I've run my race and I've finished my race. And what did he want to hear when he got to heaven? He, there was one thing Paul desired to hear above everything. Not, hey, you did a good job in Ephesus, boy. <laughs> when you took that beating back in, 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 in Corinth, I was with you. He didn't want to hear that. He was looking for one thing to hear when he gets to heaven. What was that? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Church, it was, that's a holistic look at your Christian life. It's not just showing, the church, showing up church. It's not just opening the Bible. It's not just doing good deeds. It's the whole of life of being a Christian. That's the giving, the serving, the, the praising, watching God work in your life and letting him use you as a vessel. It's the whole of life, not just one or two things that you might do well. Let me challenge you today. Listen, we come to the place. Don't just settle for these financial interests. Listen, we come to the place. Listen, this is, I want, I want everything financial. It's money, 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 money. Because when you get married, especially with young couples, what do you fight over? Who's going to fight the checkbook and money, 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 right? Why'd you spend that money on this? And why'd you spend, we need more money. Get a second job. We need to do this. If you can get to this place, get this spiritual truth. Hey, God wants everything and he will use me. You won't believe in 10 years where you'll be, what God's going to do for you if he tarries. He wants to use you for his glory. Do you want to be used for his glory? That's the question. Let's pray. Father God, the glory of God is something that's hard on our hearts sometimes. That we, it's so large, we can't even think sometimes about it because our daily job is right here in our face. In the morning, we're going to get up early, get on the computer, go face to face, whatever you have for us even today and tomorrow. Father, we pray that you would somehow speak in our lives that we all have something more to do and give, but many people don't know what it is because they're not reading your word. Would you help us today at a very point of need? Because we need you, Lord. If we've been grieving you, would you forgive us and let us change from our wicked ways and turn to you? Father, in all that we do, all that we say, all that we are, we want to honor you. Forgive us, Lord, when we fail you. 
You are holy. You are God. You are our Savior. And for that, Lord, we owe you everything. Let us be people of God who seek spiritual truth, who worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.